How I Got Here, the inside stories of startups and innovation in travel and transportation with your hosts, FocusWire's Kevin May and Mozio's David Litwack. Here, the inside stories behind travel innovation and startups. I'm Kevin May, I'm the editor in chief of Focus Why I'm joined as always by my co host David Linkwag from Mozio. Uh, this week we're joined by Oliver Dewey, he's the uh, CEO and founder at Kiwi.com. For those that don't know, uh, it actually started out as Skypicker, but essentially Kiwi.com is a flight search engine. However, it does have a very big twist. It allows passengers to interline, which is for those that don't know, is kind of connecting between specific flights, it does that, but these are for flights that aren't officially connected. Um, I'm sure Oliver will go into details about how that came together and essentially the big problem that they were solving. Uh, Kiwi is consumer facing and it's also B2B, so it helps uh, online travel agencies and others and airports and it's working with a lot of people. It's done very, very well, which is why we've asked Oliver to come along. Uh, It's based in the Czech Republic, but that's pretty much enough from me as uh, welcome Oliver as always, but, we always ask our guests, tell us how you got here, Oliver, and welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Hi, Kevin. Hi, David. Hi, everybody. So how did we get there? Uh, it all started like eight years ago when me and my then girlfriend, now this wife, uh, wanted to go uh, for a vacation to Portugal. Uh, and yeah, we are both based uh, in the Czech Republic and the tickets to Portugal uh, were pretty expensive. It costed like uh, 400 euros, which back then uh, for us as broke students was a fortune. Um, so we're looking for some low-cost flights. Unfortunately, there were no direct low-cost flights, so we ended up uh, buying a flight or booking a flight from Prague to Milan, then from Milan to Porto, then back from Faro to Eindhoven, uh, uh, and uh, from Eindhoven back to Prague. All of these flights were on different airlines. So one was on Ryanair, another one uh, on EasyJet, another from uh, 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 another on Wizzair, and I think the last one was on Ryanair again. And uh, the thing was that it took us like seven days to really find uh, the connections. So uh, it really connected well and we didn't spend too much time at the airport, but still we had uh, enough connection time to, to, to catch our connection. Uh, so we we're thinking uh, because this way we actually saved uh, around 85%. So the, the, the final tickets costed around 80, 80 euros in comparison to 400 by the Portugal. We we're thinking that no one was actually uh, offering these connections. So if we would uh, be able to automate it, and if we would provide it to, uh, to the end users, to the, to, to the final customers, maybe this could be a big gap in the market. Maybe we can really uh, save lots of people to, uh, I mean, lots of, uh, lots of money to, to lots of people and enable them to travel. And that's exactly, uh, that's exactly how the idea, uh, how the idea uh, was created. And then we just, you know, had to find investors. We had to find developers. Uh, we had to build it, you know, from scratch. And that's pretty much how we are here. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. So I suppose the obvious thing to ask at this stage, um, Oliver, is were you surprised that there wasn't somebody doing it already? I know you went through this, you know, this process of trying to do it when you were doing it as, you know, as travellers. But once you started digging in, thinking this was a, you know, this is an idea that perhaps we could we could tackle. As you looked around and saw how the industry operated and all these kind of things, did you not think, I can't believe somebody hasn't done this before? 
I was pretty surprised, to be honest. And um, uh, initially, when I spoke to a couple of uh, other companies, uh, the biggest OTAs in the market, everybody actually told me that they were on it. They are working on it and they are re releasing it uh, uh, very soon. But still, I was thinking, you know, it is, it is worth a shot because, uh, you know, um, these guys, they were working on it for a couple of years already. Uh, they uh, still, you know, didn't, didn't, make, uh, didn't make any progress. So I think that maybe they are just doing it wrong. Uh, and I was actually, I was actually, I was actually right. Uh, so basically, we took the approach which was different to what everybody else was doing. Uh, we took a little bit, uh, I would say, uh, I would say more, more guerrilla approach. And this way, we have managed to build uh, the engine from completely from scratch. So we didn't use any any GDS or any third-party solutions, but we have built a wall uh, content acquisition and booking engine completely from scratch. And this is our biggest strength. Uh, not uh, not only in the beginning, of course, which the strength enabled us to actually come up with a virtual interlining, uh, but uh, even going forward, uh, this uh, turned out to be you know our biggest strength uh, even for the standard non-interlined uh, flights. So I think it was a good good bet. Um, maybe uh, someone would say crazy bet, but it's uh, paid off uh, big time. So I remember one of the first times we met Oliver, I, I asked you this question, uh, which was, I said, your rise kind of reminded me of how Zynga wrote Facebook and they kind of figured out the Facebook algorithm. Um, and I, uh, one of my impressions was that because you always managed to find, not always, but you, a good percentage of the time managed to find the cheapest um, route, you would pop to the top of Kayak and other meta search engines. Um, and I, I asked you point blank, I was like, do you think as other people are catching on your, uh, your cash cow and your, your customer service kind of, uh, sorry, excuse me, customer acquisition, um, you know, insight uh, was, going, was going to be copied by others? And um, how much do you think that's the case? And how, how, much, how much do you think people are catching on? And how much do you think that insight and meta search uh, was core to your expansion? Yeah, so when it comes to meta search, and that's, that's actually a great question. When it comes to meta search, uh, these uh, websites and apps, you know, uh, enable, enabled us to grow so quickly. Uh, without meta search, uh, it would be super difficult because one thing I forgot to mention is that uh, we are pretty much bootstrap company. We only raised around uh, 1 million euros in total uh, from the very beginning, and the company is profitable almost from the, from the day one. Uh, and without meta search and without their capability of bringing uh, traffic and selling it to us, it would be super difficult to really, uh, to really break through. Uh, but when you are asking about the competition, yeah, of course, you know, even uh, even uh, if it would be a, a total rocket science, with, which it actually uh, partially is, uh, there will always come someone who will try to copy us, and we all, we already see many companies doing that, uh, be it the small. Uh, OTAs, be it even the biggest ones. So uh, the, the the key is to uh, always innovate and not not to get stuck with uh, one single product. But we are now trying to expand, not just as I said, not just uh, in the virtual interlining, but we are um, uh, uh, becoming pretty successful even in the standard flights, even in the uh, let's say more commoditized offering. Uh, and this is mostly thanks to our uh, system and engine that we have originally developed just to support the uh, the virtual interlining, but it turned out to be uh, so robust that it can support uh, all of the other content and not just the flights. Uh, I'm talking about also ground transportation, as David uh, know very well, right? 
So uh, what we have built is a, is, a, is a base that can crunch all of the transportation data and provide it to the customers uh, in the best possible way to find the best uh, or, and the cheapest connection from A to B. That's what we, that's what Kiwi.com is about and that's what we are really, really good at. Now, to take us back a little bit, um, Oliver, I mean, when you were, it, interlining is not new. It's been around for, for many, many years and it's new through uh, like-minded airlines that want to be able to connect people. Now, you're doing it virtually. It's unofficial interlining. Give us a sense, if you can, of the conversations that you were having with airlines in those early days when they realized what you were doing. Was there any kind of resistance from them? Or were they quite happy to, you know, let's see what these guys can do because we're not convinced they can do it. I mean, just give us kind of how did that all kind of come about and the reaction that you got from the carriers? Yeah, so there's like a handful of carriers that are really stubborn, that don't want to implement, you know, these new technologies, these new ways how to do that. Um, our business model in the very beginning was really based on our capability of uh, gathering the data even without the consent of uh, their owner. So even if the airlines did, did not want to share the data with us, we had the ways, I'm talking about, for example, scraping or using third parties uh, to get the data into the platform and to, to process it anyway. Uh, so this, these were the beginnings. Um, today, majority of the airlines actually have direct partnerships with us uh, already. Uh, they are uh, giving us the data voluntarily and we are very good partners. Of course, even now there are airlines which uh, do not want to uh, do not want to work with us. Uh, my personal belief is that these airlines are basically against uh, building the customer value because if the customers are buying that content, uh, if they are using it, flying on that flight, and virtually interlining, if there is a demand for this content, the airline should basically accommodate to what what the customers want. But again, uh, we have this capability of getting the content anyway. So even if there are you know very few, and I'm talking about let's say five airlines which are uh, resistant, uh, we have uh, them in our platform anyway. Now, sorry, it's kind of a follow-up, really. I mean, we would obviously be delighted if you would tell us who some of those airlines that were resistant are. But um, if if you cannot, can you just was it, were there certain types of airlines by which I mean were perhaps the low-cost carriers a little bit more? amenable to what you were doing or was it the flag carriers that perhaps weren't can you generalize in in, in that way or is it um very very kind of a mixture uh yeah so i would say that uh, most of the airlines that have their business model based on direct traffic acquisition uh so um this is pretty standard to to the local carriers but currently even with uh, with some of the biggest ones we have we have a uh, direct partnership so if if i would share one example of really resistant airline uh that would be that would be easyjet uh these guys uh these guys they are building their own intralining uh, engine and uh, although it is um you know much it can, it can provide much uh, less content than our engine they only have partnerships with very few airlines uh, as opposed to us uh, who are uh, capable of interlining EasyJet with uh, 600 carriers, they are still trying to uh, suppress uh, Kiwi.com. Uh, Kiwi uh, but again, uh, we have their content, uh, we are very competitive, and we are able even to um, very nicely compete with their own uh, virtual interlining uh, efforts. Now, just, I mean, just on that, I mean, from a kind of a, a, a broader context for the startups listening who, you know, may face similar kind of resistance from established players 
when they are starting to talk to you know people in the industry with their idea i mean have you kind of tweaked your approach when you're talking to them i'm assuming you've knocked on the door of easyjet many times over the years if you had to how have you gone about kind of changing the message with them Yep, so we are always open to a win-win partnership, to compromise, uh, to a way how to make it work uh, for uh, for both of us. Um, EasyJet, and I'm not saying EasyJet is the only one, there are a few airlines, but probably EasyJet uh, is the toughest one to work with. Um, uh, they just don't want to, it seems to me that they, they want to come up with any with any compromise, with any, um, uh, uh, let's, say, let's say, proposal that would, um, make it work for uh, us, them, and most importantly, uh, the customers. We are still very open to work with them. And if someone from EasyJet is listening, uh, please drop me an email. Let's meet and let's uh, let's try to fix it. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, we will continue anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, certainly appreciate the uh, um, uh, the blunt speak. Um, so it's funny you you rewinding a second there you, you mentioned uh, ground transportation and uh, obviously mm -hmm. yeah I'm uh, uh, quite familiar with uh, multimodal. Um, I wanted to delve a little deeper there because I, I think um, perhaps I that answer got a little lost. I think like the fundamental answer to your last question was you guys are uh, continuing to stay both a lower cost and most than the most. Uh, yeah, the cheapest um, and the uh, you know best option by adding these other forms of transportation. So um, I, I know you're combining buses with trains. I know you have a, a partnership with Fleexbus to uh, combine that. Um, can you speak a little bit more about how you view multimodal? Because we've had um, several interviewees, and I, I actually forget who's launched yet uh, so far, but uh, Omiyoko Euro has come on. Uh, we've had Wanderu and Silver Rail, and um, everyone seems to have a strategy for how they're attacking that multimodal market. So I'd love to hear you expand a little bit on that. Yeah, so from my perspective, and we are uh, not at multimodal uh, anymore, we are going intermodal. So multimodal, uh, just, uh, 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 just to explain it. Multimodal is being able to search all the modes of transportation uh, in one platform. Intermodal is not just multimodal, uh, but it's also basically the interlining between all of the modes of transportation. So in one trip, we can connect uh, bus, uh, train, and flight, uh, and later on, even 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 ride hailing and taxi and, and city micromobility. This is what we call uh, intermodal. We connect this in one single itinerary uh, and sell it to the customer in one single transaction. Um, which is guaranteed. So even if the uh, if the bus, for example, is delayed, uh, the customer misses the connecting flight. Uh, we we always cover it. So this is what we call intermodal, just to just to make it clear to 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 everybody. And uh, when it comes to our strategy around that, our uh, Kiwi.com is a transportation company. We don't we don't really see us as an OTA. Uh, we don't think that we'll ever be able to you know compete, for example, with Booking.com. Uh, or, or, or Expedia when it comes to accommodation or when it comes to packages. But what we are good at is uh, at moving people from any A to any B, uh, anywhere in the world. Um, so far, we've been focusing mostly on, let's say, um, uh, middle and long haul transportation. Uh, so from country to country or from continent to continent. Uh, so these are flights mostly, but now with integration of, um, as you have mentioned, Flixbus uh, and the other uh, bus, bus carriers and the same with, uh, with the trains and uh, in the future, even, even uh, the ride hailing and city mobility. Uh, we are aiming even at uh, even just around the corner transportation from uh, my place to the bar, for example, or to, uh, to the job. 
so basically, we want to be the company that moves people again from any A anywhere in the world to any B uh, uh, anywhere in the world in one single transaction in one single platform. How have you thought of that about uh, re-frequency? Because we had uh, Aaron from Silver Rail on board and he was saying how, I think he said train line, the average person opened up the train line app or went to the train line website uh, once, mm-hmm. uh, no, sorry, uh, 22 times a year, I think it was. I could be forgetting the exact stat and comparing that to the average OTA was you know maybe two to four times a year and how uh, this you know really uh, made it, it kind of highlighted the absurdity how more people weren't focusing on these other forms of transportation. I know me and you have spoken a little bit about how, you know, transit apps and local mobility um, is kind of like the new, you know, OTAs that we should be, OTAs in general should be moving more and more into local mobility. So could you expand a little bit more specifically on the local mobility aspect? Yeah. uh, So when it comes to frequency, and I'm glad that you mentioned it, uh, this is extremely important because um, the, uh, traffic acquisition for the OTAs um, as uh, the costs are going through the roof. And uh, we uh, at Three.com are uh, you know, strong believers in frequency and staying on the top of mind of the customers uh, by basically creating multiple touch, po- touch points. So uh, as I mentioned, uh, we are also integrating uh, uh, ride hailing and taxis and, and uh, city mobility. Uh, the reason we do that uh, besides having the full uh, transportation content and really the a- ability to move people from A to B, uh, is also to generate frequency. Uh, we don't think that we will uh, make tons of money on reselling uh, lift uh, content, reselling lift capacity. Uh, we might be actually even loss making on, 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 on this content. Uh, but we believe that uh, you know, um, if people learn to use Kiwi.com uh, every single day or even multiple times a day uh, to move uh, around their city, uh, to, to go to their jobs, you know, etc. Then once they are ready to uh, book a flight to the other side of the world, will be there and will be on top of their mind. So this is basically our, you know, general general understanding of uh, the ride hailing within the within the uh, broader ecosystem of uh, transportation. Any other services other than ride hailing and transportation? I, you know, I'm just thinking how Priceline bought OpenTable and that was content tangentially related. Any any plans for anything else? Um, for us, uh, yeah, this is basically part of the uh, broader monetization and bringing some uh, extra extra value to the to the customers. But we don't we don't think that we'll ever be experts on any other services. Of course, we are considering considering, for example, integrating uh, food delivery. Uh, or accommodation is obvious, and all, all of the ODA, uh, OTAs are selling hotels. Uh, but uh, we want to bring these services only in a cooperation with uh, someone who is much better equipped to build their own product around these services. So I can imagine, uh, I can, I can imagine uh, working with the Delivery Hero on the, on the uh, food delivery. I can imagine uh, working with uh, Priceline or Expedia, I mean, sorry, uh, Booking.com uh, and, and, and Expedia on the, on the accommodation part. Uh, but um, really our key uh, competence uh, is in the transportation. Great. So uh, let's let, let's go back again a little bit, if we may, to just you know, kind of the formation of the company in those early few years. I mean, it was Skypicker originally. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, you're no longer Skypicker. So, uh, first part of the question really is, uh, what was the thinking around changing the brand name and stuff like that? And then, I mean, you referenced earlier that you'd you've raised almost next to no money. Um, not least because you've been uh, making money uh, since the word go. But uh, you know, 
was there any temptation given that the venture capital market does seem to be fairly free and open with handing out money to travel startups? Was there any temptation ever to go after big pots of money in order to grow potentially faster? So first part, changing the name, second part, temptation to grab more money. Okay, so changing the name. So yeah, as you have said, uh, we started as a skypicker.com, uh, which was a dollars uh, domain, uh, which was free. Uh, which we which we bought the uh, or, or, or registered you know, in uh, in the beginning, and after a couple of years we noticed that this domain is not serving our purpose uh, very well. Uh, back then we uh, we were already realizing that Skypicker is not just going to be only about uh, flights, so the sky uh, might have been confusing. Uh, more importantly, uh, the uh, the Skypicker uh, it was really hard to remember, and people were confusing it with other. Other brands. I'm not going to. Uh, I'm not going to make a promo to to the other brands, but you can probably imagine which mm-hmm. brands uh, mm-hmm. it, it was. Be, <laughs> it was con- uh, confused with, um, and people were, you know, misspelling it. So <clears throat> we had misspellings like Sky Tracker and uh, this kind of stuff. Uh, so we were thinking about something much more universal, and we we're at the same time trying to find a word uh, that is uh, that means the same thing all around the world, that is spelled the same way and pronounced the same way all around the world. And we have actually, uh, uh, after some research, uh, we have uh, realized that there are only five or six words like that. One word is uh, panda, another word is siesta, uh, another one is kiwi, and there are like two or three more of them. And we liked kiwi the most because, uh, except for New Zealanders, kiwi is basically exotic to everybody. So it's really, it, it has very positive connotations uh, uh, and connection with, uh, with traveling to most of the people, except for uh, the great, uh, but and, and lovely country, but but small, you know, <laughs> uh, of, of, yeah. of, of, of New Zealand. Uh, so we just, uh, sorry, to... sorry, sorry, Oliver. Just on that, I mean, before you come to the the, the second part of the question, yeah. I mean, it's either a fruit or it's a country in the southern hemisphere. I mean, were you worried about it not being the new brand name being particularly aligned to what you were doing? Arguably. Well, that's why we have .com. So we are not the bird, we are not the uh, not the fruit, we are not the country. Uh, we are kiwi, kiwi.com, and kiwi.com is uh, all uh, all around transportation and yeah. traveling. Uh, okay. There are other brands which uh, you know are seemingly seemingly unrelated. Uh, look at kayak, for example. So I think I think actually this kind of brand name um, it has something in it, and I'm really glad that we that we have cho- uh, chosen this one. Okay. So the second part of the question was um, around yeah. your, you know, was there a temptation to go out and, you know, vacuum up some of the millions of dollars that seem to be awash in the industry? Yeah, so maybe you have noticed that uh, earlier in this year, we have uh, onboarded a new investor, uh, General Atlantic. Uh, we have basically bought out uh, most of our previous investors. So it was uh, purely secondary money. Uh, none of the money went uh, to the company. It was just, you know, to uh, basically swap uh, for the uh, for, for for the or, or original investors who pumped this, who pumped this uh, one million uh, into the company, as I was uh, saying before. Um, so with GA, uh, of course, GA uh, they have deep pockets and they are encouraging us to coming up with a plan how to, you know, uh, efficiently and effectively invest more money. 
we are in, uh, investigating a couple, a couple of uh, opportunities. Uh, so far, so far, nothing is uh, closed yet, so uh, it will be difficult for me to comment on it. Uh, but yeah, we are looking around uh, possible, for example, uh, M&As uh, or some or some other ways how to spend you know higher amount of money. But since the company currently is profitable, it's growing, and the business model is I would say validated and proven. Uh, there is no like imminent need to raise cash, so it's we are looking at it opportunistically, basically. But but I mean, and that, that's great. It's just you know, it's a long time between the formation of the company and what happened earlier this year. I mean, there was there any other times between then and earlier this year that you did um, were tempted to go and raise money? Well, I think actually this is the difference. Maybe uh, I don't want to generalize too much, but this is the difference. Uh, between let's say Central European entrepreneurs and uh, the Western, uh, especially Silicon Valley entrepreneurs, yeah. uh, we really wanted to. And again, I, I think I think both of the approaches are valid and they they make sense. Uh, but we are really you know about delivering some value before asking for money, delivering some real value which is uh, which is uh, uh, validated by customers willing to uh, pay to us. And not just you know for the base service, but also cover cover the margin we are charging them. Uh, this is what I see you know as uh, a real valuable and sustainable service. If the customers are happy to pay even some extra uh, for for the service, and this 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 has been the whole approach of Kiwi.com from the from the very beginning. So um, and since we are growing you know a very high double digits uh, at the beginning, even triple digits a year, there was really no reason to boost it even further because uh, it would become unmanageable. Uh, the growth, even, even as it was now, uh, which I would say it was pretty fast, it was really hard to manage from, from me and the, and the rest of the management because we had zero experience with uh, you know, this kind of a company and this kind of a growth. So I cannot imagine you know, if some extra money would boost it even further, how would we be able to manage it? It would be hard. So quickly, many people might not know, but you guys are based in Bruno, Czech Republic, spelled B-R-N-O. And I remember the time I visited you, I had to uh, fly into Vienna and take a, a two-hour uh, car service to uh, to Bruno. And you guys had several buildings, and I, if I'm not mistaken, uh, you know, couple thousand employees in a Czech mm -hmm. Republic city that I'm pretty sure most people listening to this haven't heard of. Um, okay. How, you know, a couple of questions. Why did you choose Bruno other than maybe the fact that you live nearby there? Um, and why did, why did you think that uh, it's a good place for you to build a tech company? And how did you feel locating such a big company in um, not a major metropolitan area? Yeah, so uh, I don't live I don't live so close to Bruno. I live like 170 kilometers, so like two hour drive uh, away from Bruno. Uh, but I went to Bruno to study uh, uh, to study uh, university. And uh, when I got dropped uh, of, of, of the university, that's when I started the company. And so somehow we like the city. Brno is quite okay actually for starting a technology company because uh, it has three universities that are producing uh, 1,500 to 2,000 uh, IT professionals every year. So, uh, and you know, the, the cost per, uh, uh, per you know, person or per, per IT professional in Brno um, the costs are significantly lower in comparison to Prague, uh, the Czech capital, and when you compare it to uh, to London, for example, uh, it's it's a fraction, or actually, uh, or at least it has been a fraction. 
Uh, now, you know, it's much more balanced uh, as people are, you know, working remotely for Western com companies, etc. So the competition is fierce. Uh, but back then, you know, it was, a, it was a logical step, you know, out of the two uh, main cities in the, uh, in the Czech Republic. Uh, nowadays, uh, we still have most of our engineering in Brno, but um, uh, we also have uh, like six or seven other engineering offices all around Europe. Uh, for example, now today I'm, I'm in Barcelona. Uh, we have our office here, uh, uh, office here, currently 25 people. We want to scale up to 45 uh, until the end of the year. So uh, I would say that we have already took all of the best talents uh, from Brno. So everybody good is already working for us. And now um, we need to expand globally. Uh, so we are starting in, in Europe, but at the same time we are developing, uh, let's say, um, a remote collaboration framework. Uh, that would enable us to um, hire anyone from anywhere in the world uh, and work with us remotely. That plays perfectly into what I was about to uh, comment and then kind of ask your opinion on. Uh, you know, Mozia, we're 73 employees and there's only three American employees and we're in 40 different yeah. cities around the world. We, you know, eight years ago when we started, um, I think we were also at the kind of, you know, the time where people would raise their eyebrows about remote working, but we did it out of necessity um, and, and frugality um, and realizing there was good talent everywhere. So I think there is a, a, a trend towards um, being less discriminatory uh, to that, oh, you aren't located in Silicon Valley, New York, or London. Um, and there's been a lot of success stories from that company you, you don't want to give a prop to in Edinburgh to, to you yeah. guys in Bruno. Um, so I, I'm just saying, do you have any like it sounds like you're moving more and more in that direction to completely remote how do you how do you think about that versus i think mean, it's something we've just quickly something we've um noticed is that it's fine if you're completely remote and it's also fine if you have all one office um often in between the situations don't work so how do you feel feel about balancing remote work plus having offices do people feel left out um, yeah, so we are a transportation company, so we really encourage people and even subsidize their, their travels. So for us, we are we're looking at, at this kind of hybrid type. Uh, the thing is, it's about two, uh, I mean, actually three main, main things. Uh, first one is discipline, uh, second is tooling, third is processes. So we need to hire, hire people uh, which have a discipline that even if they are not uh, seeing their peers every day or, or, or every week, uh, they still, you know, deliver and are working hard and uh, they do care uh, what's going on, etc. Uh, second, those are processes. Uh, we are currently trying to build a framework that will allow us uh, to work uh, without any limitations remotely uh, in comparison to, uh, to, to being, there, uh, being, uh, being there in the office. So basically all of the meetings, even though everybody is present uh, in person, are being recorded. Uh, there are uh, there are summaries of the meeting and minutes uh, minutes from the meeting, you know, uh, uh, stored in the uh, in, in the cloud. And we are uh, we are encouraging encouraging everyone, if, even if they want to discuss, you know, ten minutes uh, to to just you know whatever whatever issue they have uh, to uh, fill, you know, minutes from from that discussion and put it on cloud where it is uh, searchable uh, for uh, uh, by anybody. And the third is tooling. So we are now looking at, uh, for example, uh, augmented reality tools that would make everybody, even on the other side of the world, uh, feel like they are sitting in the same uh, room with the others. Of course, this is going to take some time uh, until the technology will be uh, perfected. Uh, but we are looking at it already and uh, investing, you know, uh, immense amount, uh, amounts of money uh, into building this proficiency uh, in uh, remote uh, collaboration.
it's it's interesting uh focuswire as well as a it's a semi-virtual company we have uh, our news editor is in our uh, manhattan office with focus right but the rest of us all work from home i mean uh, i i've read that you have two and a half thousand has probably increased since i looked this up and you call people crew members which i thought was quite cute but related to the kind of the virtual kind of workforce how have you gone about um kind of creating a culture around the company one given that it's grown so quickly to two and a half thousand people but also that you're all virtual beyond the you know the tools that you were just talking about which kind of around efficiency and being good managers but how do you kind of create a culture as well yeah so in czech republic we have this saying uh, it's something like fish smells from the hat so uh, it means <laughs> that uh, you know uh yeah, it's all about uh, it's all about uh, the head of the fish. So even at the high level, uh, we are really trying to hire the people who are you know one hundred and twenty percent fit uh, to the company. It's extremely important because this is cascading, you know, uh, even to the uh, uh, even to the lo- lo- lower levels of the company, uh, mid management and lower managers uh, uh, and uh, then you know regular uh, employees. Uh, we call them kiwis. Uh, so I think I think this is uh, one important thing. Uh, at the very high level, people need to be 100% aligned, uh, and I would say that actually it's necessary that the people are even personal friends, not just work colleagues. And if uh, their reports see it, they try to you know mimic this this behavior and mimic, mimic this approach, and then it cascades you know uh, across uh, across the, uh, the the whole company. Uh, that's one thing. And another, another thing is that although we are growing uh, quite fast, um, we are still trying to keep this, let's say, punk culture. So uh, anybody can talk to anybody. Uh, they, uh, we are super transparent or trying to be at least super transparent about all the decisions. So anyone at any position can actually comment and, uh, uh, and argue with, with uh, even me or, or, or anyone from, from the management team about any decision we have made. And I believe this is extremely important because if you just uh, come and say, you need, uh, this has to be done, don't ask me the questions, just do it. Uh, people uh, become demotivated. Uh, you don't get the buy-in of the people. So I think it's extremely important to make people part of the decision-making. Although sometimes we pre-process this, the decisions as the management, so we don't spend time all, or like, on, let's say, complete bullshit uh, but then we come up with a couple of pre-processed options and we uh, make all the people part of the decision-making process uh, which is uh, which is creating lots of motivation and people basically understand what they are uh, what, what, the, what the objectives are and the work is much easier and motivating for them. Tell, tell, tell me Oliver I mean it, it just in the research and uh, looking around a, a little bit more about you rather than the company I mean you were named one of Forbes 30 under 30 in the Czech Republic. I mean, what did that do to you as a kind of a founder and just your general profile within the country and the tech community? Did it help or was it just good PR, would you say? Um, More people are asking me to, to lend them some money. (laughs) <laughs> uh, uh, so I, I keep on explaining that uh, uh, all of my money are actually still at kiwi.com. <laughs> so it's it's uh, sometimes <laughs> difficult for someone to to understand. No, I'm kidding. It's 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 not, not that bad. But I mean, for me, I didn't really care that much. Uh, it wasn't me who applied for that position. So someone uh, uh, someone uh, applied on my uh, on my behalf. Um, for me, actually, the Czech PR. 
uh, it's mostly about uh, hiring the right talent. Uh, so Kiwi.com currently, after eight years in operation, uh, we are um, quite well known in the Czech Republic. We are probably one of the one of the mo most famous uh, startups uh, startups uh, in the country, and that obviously helps to to find the right people because you know we are a sexy company, and when we are competing <laughs> now uh, with uh, with uh, and I don't have nothing against them, but with companies like uh, Siemens, uh, IBM, Honeywell, uh, you know, we are in a, in a way sexier than them. Um, partially also thanks to thanks to these kind of initiatives and thanks to these um, uh, PR uh, PR buzzes. So this is the only you know value I can actually I can actually see around being thirty under thirty or any other uh, or any other uh, similar award. Just just quickly uh, on this subject, because I'm just curious, because, you know, being thrust into the limelight can be um, quite, you know, it's an interesting experience, but it quite can be quite daunting. When we've when we've met before, Oliver, you all seem a fairly humble, quite low key kind of kind of gentleman. I mean, how have you found being kind of thrust into the limelight? Is it something that you're comfortable with as a founder and as an entrepreneur? Uh, in, well, very difficult to say. Um uh i i cannot say i completely like enjoy it but i think it's just a part of my job and when i look at it from this perspective and at the same time given i really want to do my job properly and the best way i can i just take it as as a part of it and i didn't actually even think about it uh anymore so if there is a chance to really uh to really uh promote company uh even promote myself as i'm sort of a one of the faces of the uh, of the company i just uh, i just do it um, including actually <laughs> including this interview so uh i think i think actually it's as long as it's helping the company i'm very happy to do it and i don't think about it so i want to rewind to something you said uh about 20 minutes ago how you guys built a lot of your own uh, connections you didn't rely on gds's and uh we just uh, i think a week ago uh, uh put out the interview with uh philippe Chirac, who in addition to being president of mxgbt also helped found amadeus and at one point i asked them a question uh saying you know if you had to um you know disrupt amadeus you know how would you go about uh, about doing it and uh you seem to kind of ha have have done it in, in, in your your own way and obviously I don't I don't think uh, I don't think you'd characterize yourself as you know trying to disrupt Amadeus uh, no. first and foremost but um, you have duplicated a lot of uh, what they've built and I'm curious if you could go a little bit more into that b2b strategy and how you've thought about whether to work with the GDS or not and, or, or you know and replace them um, so we definitely don't aim to replace uh, Amadeus or, or any any other GDSs and when you said we disrupted them, uh, we might have disrupted a very tiny part of what they are doing. Um, GDSs are uh, bringing lots of value to, to all of the parts of the, uh, of the supply chain. Uh, so, so we really took a very tiny piece uh, where we are, uh, I would say, and they know it much better than they are. And they are uh, very, very slowly catching up if they will ever be able to. Uh, but uh, uh, from my perspective, yeah, to comment on the, on the B2B part, uh, the main objective here was to uh, basically uh, incentivize the others to 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 invest into the same technology. So we have built it, and we have seen that there is a demand uh, in the market, and there are a couple of companies uh, investing in there. So we're thinking, okay, uh, how do we how do we prevent them from doing that? We cannot either we buy them, we don't have money for that, and why would we do that? Or um, uh, or we just you know release it for uh, for everybody uh, for free. 
So we decided that, you know, I think we are really very value driven company. So we think that um, uh, the way how to how to uh, bring the most value possible is to have your services accessible to the widest specter of uh, uh, of the users, and that's exactly what we have uh, what we have done with Tequila. If you are referring to this uh, to this product that we have launched uh, the last year, uh, this is our B two B platform uh, that again makes accessible makes makes our content full content, uh, virtual interlining, standard flights, uh, ground transportation, buses, trains, whatever you can think of accessible to anybody we can we will just you know register and start using the api and again uh, i believe that this was a very good step from our side uh, to the incentivize the others to try to from trying to build the same thing tell me all of it and um, before we get to, to towards the end i mean what, what would you say has surprised you most about the journey that you've taken so far is it the has it been the growth has it been the um the the way it's been adopted and the profile that the company has raised. Is there anything that you can kind of identify or has it been a number of things that you've thought, oh, okay, that's perhaps not happened how we envisaged it would? Um, so I'll be completely honest with you. When we were starting the company eight years ago, um, we were broke, me, uh, our CTO and, 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 and co-founder um, and the others in the company. So it was much more about the money. Of course, we wanted to build something meaningful, but uh, we wanted to basically uh, we wanted to start earning some money to cover our you know basic basic uh, needs, etc. And we were actually thinking that within three to five years we will exit the company and start enjoying you know uh, all the proceeds uh, coming from uh, coming from this exit. So what surprised <laughs> me, or actually at least what I didn't expect, was how much you know I did change during the process. Uh, so today. After eight years, I had the opportunity to sell a much bigger stake to GA. Uh, I sold only 0.5%, basically just to pay off my, my mortgage. And uh, I, I, I left the rest of the stake and the, uh, the rest of the money within the company, not because I, I believe that it will grow and then I will capitalize on it uh, much more. Uh, of course, it will grow and I, will, I might you know, sell it for, for much, much more money. But basically, the reason was, was complete opposite. Uh, or, or, or very different. The reason is that what motivates me is, um, uh, you know, the hunger, uh, the uh, the uncertainty. Um, you know, it's it's so great to know that if I if I screw it up, I might end, uh, end up, you know, not on the street uh, anymore, but in much you know worse condition than uh, uh, I'm at now. And it's extremely motivating for me to really think about the company, you know, uh, all day, all night. Uh, sometimes I wake up 3 a.m. with some ideas, you know, coming from maybe some uh, dream or nightmare. I'm noting it, you know, on the uh, on the paper. I never thought, just to answer a question, I never thought that I'll be so motivated and so uh, completely engaged in uh, something that looked, you know, very intangible to me back then, as the company is. So, does it answer your question? Uh, yeah, yes, it does. I just got. I've just got one more. Really, I mean, you've been very open with this, which has been terrific. I mean, could, would you be happy to identify one time when you've screwed things up? Ooh, one well, every day. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. What's uh, the biggest? What's the biggest one then? <laughs> uh, so okay, so so probably the biggest one would be uh, the focus. So uh, the last 
Uh, last year, we have actually started uh, to invest in, in building the holiday packages product, uh, which was uh, probably one of the worst decisions uh, we've made. Uh, we, we, we felt extremely strong in the virtual interlining. We, we felt that this is going to grow um, uh, unlimitedly. So we started investing into, into, into something completely, completely different. Um, back then, you know, uh, we thought that this is the right way to, to go. Uh, today, uh, if I could uh, have, you know, uh, turned back the time, I would have, you know, invested much more in our co core capabilities, you know, reinforcing, reinforcing um, our, our, our core business, making it stronger, uh, protecting it more, more from, from, from the competitors. I think that we have realized that, um, you know, before the disaster, before the disaster came, so we have killed the project. Uh, now we are invest Now we are back, you know, focusing on one single thing. But basically, to answer your question in in one word, they focus. This is the biggest mistake. Not just probably me, but um, many many entrepreneurs make. Okay, great. Thank you. Very Thank you. cool. Thanks a lot, Oliver. I, this has been wonderful. We're out of time today, but I, I think Kevin would agree with me that this has probably been one of the most transparent interviews that we've yeah, had, sure. down to exact <laughs> percentages to and which problem airlines there are. But, um, yeah, so I told you. Uh, yeah, no, you did. I, so this has been how I got here: stories of innovation and in travel and transportation. And next week we'll have another. Um, and thank you very much, Oliver. Appreciate it. Thanks. Oliver. Thank you, David. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks for listening to How I Got Here podcast. We'll be back next week with more inside stories behind startups and innovation in travel and transportation. Check lozio.com slash move for a complete write-up of the highlights of every podcast with translations into five languages. And get your daily dose of news on the digital travel economy by subscribing to the newsletter at focuswire.com. See you next week.